2: Thank you.
3: Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. This is the Axon Bulletin and I'm Paul John Dykes. I'm going to be asking a few questions today around the uh, month of January. We're going to be looking at the transfer window and also at the fixtures, um, both at Celtic and at Rangers. Uh, Interested to read some comments this morning from former Rangers captain, Barry Ferguson, who believes Celtic will go on a winning run. Does that mean that we can claw anything back in January? Um, I've been reading the comments with interest over the last couple of days and we've been called uh, a negative state of mind. A negative state of mind because we're talking about the issues that Celtic are facing at the moment. Well, I disagree with that. I don't think it's negativity. I just think that, you know, you have a platform to shine a light... On some deficiencies at the club And we have a whole team of pundits who come on uh, Only one of them's on today, at the moment anyway uh, But we do have 11 regular pundits who come on To air their views and give you their perspective On all things Celtic And then we invite you, guys and girls, into the equation And obviously uh, your voice will be heard even more than normal today Because I will be working through all your comments, any questions that you have for me at Celtic State of Mind, ask them in the comments section and we'll work through them. We're also moderating the comments uh, on Facebook and on YouTube because obviously you do have some unfortunate comments coming through. Uh, about the pundits themselves, about Celtic, about our comments. Everybody is entitled to their opinion. But as long as we keep it nice and balanced and fair, that's all we're looking for. So yeah, I don't see it as being negative. I think, you know, at this current situation that Celtic find themselves in in January, we're 19 points behind uh, the league leaders. Yes, we have three games in hand. Uh, Livingston, Aberdeen uh, and St Mirren. Do you expect us to get the nine points from the three games on hand? I hope so. Uh, Even then, we've got ten. We're looking for a couple of favours. It's not just a win and a draw. I think we're looking for two defeats uh, against Rangers as well as Celtic winning the last two derby games against them. So it's a big, big ask. But let's have a look at that uh, with as much positivity as we possibly can. I'm going to start off with Patrick Murphy. Let's not forget we were very happy with our summer business and the board's backing. Any transfer has the potential to not work out. This season we've had a few. We need to be careful this month. Yeah, I think we do. Let's have a wee chat about the transfers um, and how successful or otherwise uh, the last window has been as well. I think that's important um, to have a look at that. So we brought in a number of new signings. And again, yeah, even on this particular Broadcast. I spoke about how happy I was at the time. I felt that uh, many of the positions that we were crying out for were filled. Unfortunately, it would appear uh, that um, a huge amount of the, the signings that have come in, or at least half of them, haven't worked out, you know. So I think when we're, we're trying to review that, it's easy to say, well, I thought it was good at the time. But let's review it at this stage and let's see um, how many of the, the new faces have indeed been successes. How many of the new signings do you think have been a success? Let me know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if we will continue with uh, all the loan deals that we have beyond beyond January. Um, it may well be that uh, we have no option uh, other than to keep uh, the loanees coming in. So we've brought in like salt. El Yannoussi, Barkas, Turnbull, Ayeti and Duffy. And on this very podcast, I said, you know, it looked as though... In fact, I asked the question, is this Celtic's most impressive or best transfer window um, in recent history? Because it looked as though we had invested, we had spent big on the likes of Barkas, on Ayeti. We'd brought in the promise of Turnbull, one of the most promising, if not the most promising Players, young players in Scottish football Laxalt came in from AC Milan I mean he had proved himself at international level with Uruguay El Yunusie, I wanted him to stay, he stayed, it was great bit of business I felt at the time he's been inconsistent and of course Shane Duffy, let's have a look at the six signings we've already brought in and let's reassess how successful or otherwise that particular transfer window was because it looks now obviously looking back A completely different picture, doesn't it? Um, I think that we've been uh, left short in various areas of the park, even before the injuries to the likes of Julien, the couple of injuries he's had, and Forrest. You know, we've been very, very short in some of the full-back areas, uh, the wide areas, and of course the centre-half. So where will we? Where will we strengthen? So I'm looking at uh, some of the comments we made yesterday around uh, Gordon Strachan's claims of how transfers work at Celtic. Now, when he was talking about it, he didn't clarify that uh, he was referring to his time at the club or the current situation at Celtic. And obviously he has an insight into how things work at Celtic as it stands because his son is part of the coaching staff. And what he said is that um, the staff, the coaching staff, the manager and the coaching staff decides the players that they want to work with now when i look at that i think he is right he is right they do decide but uh, they certainly don't identify um, and i think that's where some of the problems arise uh, with the whole setup so when let's go a wee bit further back when ronnie Dyla was in charge at celtic do you think he identified colin kazim richards and Carlton Cole. Do you think that was Ronnie Dyla that identified those players? Because I don't think it was. So the setup at Celtic is that we have obviously a, a whole recruitment team. We've all seen the leaked documents that uh, caused a bit of a, a stooshy um, about a year and a year and a half ago where by Celtic's minutes of uh, a recruitment meeting were were leaked. And what you can see from the leaked document is that a number of people are involved in these meetings. Everyone from the um, head of recruitment at that time, I think, was Lee Congerton. It's now Nicky Hammond. Neil Lennon is in there. Some of the scouting staff are in there because I remember seeing the names such as Tosh McKinley. Uh, Peter Lowell is involved in that as well. So the way that it works at Celtic is that a number of players are identified. So the manager, through consultation with the head of recruitment, can identify areas uh, of the team that needs need to be uh, strengthened. And then the head of recruitment, uh, along with his scout network, etc., identify a number of players within a price range. And those players are often taken to uh, Peter Lowell. And if they are higher than the price range that Peter Lowell wishes to pay, then he's asked to go and find another group of players. So if you can imagine the situation we were in looking for a striker, um, before the season started and Ivan Tony, and I know that his name comes up because he has been a success and Al being a Yeti um, is even a mixed bag I don't want to call anybody a flop but he's certainly not been as effective as I would have expected a Swiss international £5 million player coming from the EPL to have been so there's a, a number of factors going to this um, so Nicky Hammond presents a list of players to Peter Lolo. Often he's asked to go and present another list. Um, and then those short the shortlisted players are presented to Neil Lennon in the management team. So what Gordon Strachan says isn't wrong. They work with players they want to work with. But they're given a group of players, they're given a group of names. And these are the players that they um, are able to to sign. They're within the club's budget. Um, So it's not as though you've got free reign to go out and uh, pick the players that you want. So that was the Ronnie Diler example I gave with Colin Kazim-Richards. Fast forward to uh, Brennan Rogers. And we know that, obviously, the John McGinn deal is mentioned time and time again. So he was identified by Brennan Rogers as being a player that he wanted to bring in to Celtic, and I think part of that process was it was succession planning um, for Scott Brown, not comparing the two players, but I think that John McGinn could have been a Celtic midfielder for years and years to come. He has gone on to be a huge success down at a very high level in England. But there was another issue, uh, not just the John McGinn Signing. There was another issue, um, there were probably many others that I'm unaware of, but Celtic uh, under Brendan Rodgers wanted Cristiano Pacini, um, who was a, a highly rated player at that time and who probably um, was within Celtic's budget at that time. So there's been two issues that I'm aware of in terms of signing players. So the first one, John McGinn, there's so much... Um, been said about McGinn and the fiasco that ensued um, when we tried to sign him. He was obviously one of the players that Brennan Rodgers wanted. It wasn't solely due to the fact that we failed to get that deal across the line that uh, made Rodgers wish to leave Celtic. It was one of the reasons, obviously. So, on the day day that John McGinn signed for Aston Villa, and he's down in Birmingham, um, he contacted as many people as he possibly could with access to Peter Lowell um, and also the company lawyer at that time uh, to say that he wanted to sign for Celtic and he wanted them to give him a call back and he still hasn't had. This week
0: on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust.
3: that call back so there was an opportunity for Celtic still to sign John McGinn at the last uh, kind of minutes uh, when he was down in Birmingham and he was preparing himself to sign for Aston Villa so you can understand how it, under the circumstances for whatever reason Peter Lowell didn't want to complete that deal um how frustrating that would be for the manager and how frustrating it was for Brennan Rogers at that time and it certainly contributed to his eventual um departure from the club the other one and the reason I bring this up is because Colin Watt yesterday on yesterday's show um, spoke about a situation whereby we were in discussions with a player and we flew him over to Glasgow and Brendan Rogers was very keen it was a player he himself had identified during one of these meetings um, to come to Celtic and it interfered with Brendan Rogers's personal family holiday um, and this is the, the example that Colin brought up yesterday. Uh, the player in question was Cristiano Puccini. And the deal that he believed he was coming to talk about and uh, he was very close to signing was changed. So he's flown over to, to Glasgow. Brennan Rogers was very, very keen to sign him. So he puts his uh, personal family holiday on hold and Peter Lowell changes the deal. It changes the deal to such a degree that uh, Pacini jumps on a plane and goes back uh, to where he came from so these are two examples of a manager identifying players and the deal not being done so these are the things that we need to be aware of in the Jan- January transfer window um, the way that Celtic operate has been touched upon by Gordon Strachan but there's some examples whereby we really have failed in the transfer market and um, And I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, no one was complaining when we were winning nine in a row Um, and it was under the same kind of setup in terms of the structure of the club. And I I take that on board. I take that on board. And one example that I can remember is I was at the the Motherwell Cup final with Kevin Graham when we clinched the second treble in a row. And on that day, Kevin and I couldn't get a ticket, actually, and uh, we ended up having to to get hospitality, with to be in a lounge to, to just see the game. So we were in the lounge and in that same lounge were a group of Celtic players who weren't stripped for the game. So they're standing in their cup final suits and one of the players was Marvin Comper, the infamous Marvin Comper, who had come into the club for over a million pounds on big, big wages and You know, he played 60 minutes against Morton. It was one of the most bizarre transfers in recent memory. Now, at the time, no manager wants to admit that they don't have the final say in transfers. So this is a transfer that I believe has been claimed by Brennan Rodgers to have been his transfer. Uh, But, you know, when a player comes into a club and he is the answer at centre-half... He comes in um, at around about the same time, in the same window anyway, as Jack Hendry. And of the two centre-halves, we don't get a, a kind of long-term replacement. So we don't have a centre-half. Uh, we're looking to try and replace players uh, of the stature, and the standard and ability of uh, the recently departed um, players like Van Dyke, players like Boyata, so we're trying to uh, kind of fill that gap, and we're bringing in centre halves like Jack Henry and, and Marvin Comper at that time. Now, as I say, you know Brennan Rodgers isn't going to admit I'm not in control of the transfers here, so I don't I don't remember him ever saying he wasn't his man, he wasn't his player. But going back to the story, Kevin and I, and Kevin will verify this. We're standing in the lounge having our cup of tea, because none of us drink, certainly not that that often on my part. And there's Marvin Comper in his cup final suit, and um, he was a bit of a, not even a cult icon, to be honest with you, he was a bit of a joke figure that day, because groups of Celtic fans who were in the lounge were going up and getting selfies with him, getting their photo taken, but it was all a joke and a laugh. They were picking Comper over the other players who were in the, the group at that time, and I, I can't remember who else was there, but there was, th- I think, three players who weren't in the, the, uh, the squad, and they were all suited up. So Marvin Compere was a complete waste of money. He played 60 minutes, he cost us a million quid, and he was on big wages. Now, he went away, he left Celtic, and he played fairly regularly for um, the club he went back to in Germany, and then he recently retired. So going back to the point and the criticism that has come in uh, over the last couple of days, no one was complaining. You're right. No one was complaining. In fact, we thought it was funny, uh, you know, to a degree, to such a point that some fans were going up to get their selfie taken with Marvin Compere because he had turned into this figure of fun, if you like. I'm not going to call him a joke figure. He's a guy who represented Germany. International football at full international. So, I'm not going to criticise the player, it's not his fault Celtic signed him. But going back to that, yeah, two points. Firstly, when you're winning and you're winning trebles and you're winning consecutive trebles times four and you're winning nine in a row, then I wouldn't expect, I actually wouldn't expect that the fans to be going through so many of the nuances of what's going wrong. And I think that success. Definitely masks and million deficiencies. And because this season we've not had that same level of success and we've not had the same standard of performance, and the Celtic fans are absolutely, um, quite clearly unhappy. I'm not going to speak for every Celtic fan out there, there's a huge um, number of them unhappy with the way this season's going. I'm amazed if anybody would be happy with the way it's gone. Um, but yes, when it's not going well, we can analyse and we can focus on a lot of the things that the club are not doing well. Now, it's not in the short term. I think the problems have always been there. But as I said before, success masks these deficiencies. So previously, we didn't have the same kind of challenge that we've had this season. Uh, And I take absolutely no pleasure in saying that. We've had a, a, a really strong challenge the season to the point where Rangers and again someone who might be able to access this information Rangers aren't a million miles off where Celtic's invincibles were at this stage of the season they're not a million miles off of that they've not dropped a lot of points so Celtic had to be at their very best this season and for a whole multitude of reasons we've not been So in answer to a lot of the criticism that's coming my way, because I don't think this is a negative state of mind, we are reacting on a daily basis and we're taking everybody's points on board to the situation that is currently unravelling at Celtic. And a lot of these issues were already there. But, you know, we're quite happy to bury them sometimes because we're winning games, we're winning trophies. And it's only when sometimes the things are going wrong that we can shine a light on all of these deficiencies. So, the January transfer window is open. So I'm asking the question, first and foremost, let's have a look at the last transfer window. How successful or otherwise has that been? Six players come in, like Saul, Elianusi, Barkas, Turnbull, Ayeti, Duffy. How many of them have been successful sign How many of them have contributed um, as much as you would have liked? And how many of them, if given the chance, you would actually offload in January? Let me know because, as I say, I'm going to be working through your comments far more closely than normal due to the fact that uh, we have no other pundits uh, on the show today. But, you know, sometimes it's actually quite refreshing to be able to focus on the points that are coming in. Um, and also, where do we need to strengthen? where do you think we'll strengthen Um, many of the comments coming through are very similar in terms of where you think we need to strengthen the side but I do think we're in a very unusual situation at the moment because due to the the standard of performances and the poor results this season uh, the club came out and made a statement saying that the situation would be reviewed in January Now, although we haven't had a statement that specifically says that the review has been concluded and here are the results of said review, we have had an update from the tabloid press, apparently from Dermot Desmond, saying that he's happy that Neil Lennon will be in charge for the rest of this season. So if that's the case, then we look at the transfer window and we ask ourselves, well, what do we normally do in January? And I remember a few weeks ago, Stevie Millen was on the show. Stevie can't make it because he's based in Glasgow. Um, Stevie is a great member of our team. He's a fantastic member of a Celtic state of mind. He's the St. Rock's president. And he was very influential in our charity drive uh, just a few weeks ago. And I, again, every time I get the opportunity to bring that up, I will. Because it was so heartening for me, from my perspective, to see... Celtic fans pulling together. Now, we might disagree all year. You might tweet me after these broadcasts or during the broadcast and tell me that I'm talking nonsense. That's okay. That's fine. I expect that. I want debate. I want you to disagree with me. I wouldn't expect for a moment that everybody's going to have the same view as me. And that's why I think it's important that we have a whole group of pundits who come on on a daily basis and they air their views, which may be the same as mine but more often than not they'll disagree so if I'm going to give credit to Celtic supporters by saying that we all pulled together that weekend which we did I'm going to take every opportunity to do that so we raised over 26 grand that weekend it was a quadruple treble charity weekend or what a weekend it was but Stevie was a big part of that and St Rock's um, Rock Talk which is a mental health awareness support group and it takes place on a Sunday at James McGrory Park, but they are there for everybody um, who requires their help, anyone who's suffering from mental health. Um, so they were one of the beneficiaries, one of the four charities who benefited from the 26,000 plus that we raised that weekend. We, not Axon, we as a support, everybody who got involved, all the sponsors who got involved, all the the guys who sent me supportive messages which I've played and they were tremendous from Excels and you know Celtic supporting figures, high-profile figures, and all the other podcasts and shows uh, that became part of what was a very memorable weekender. You um, were all part of something very special. Um, and the total amount... this week
0: on the marketers report patricio spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct to consumer for warner brothers discovery weighs in on building trust
3: Only amount that was taken off that was a small fee that GoFundMe take when you transfer the money money rather into the bank account. That was the only fee, um, so there was no other overheads. Everything else was covered by a state of mind, and the money that's coming out is over six and a half grand for each of those charities has been distributed to the charities. So you should all be very proud of yourself. But Stephen Millen was a big part of that, very influential part of that whole weekend. He can't be with us in person at this moment in time due to the restrictions of course but also we've had some bad weather and it would prevent Stevie from coming through to Dalkeith and now um, it would be good to dial him in but he's the first to admit that Tech isn't his 40 uh, but Stevie will hopefully be back with us next week and if not the week after because he's a, he's a massively important part of the Axon team now that said that said, it will allow me the opportunity to tap into more comments than I normally would uh, because when you're so focused on the guests um, you're, you're dipping in and out of the the comments field but what I would say is that there's been a, a suggestion online from one of our regular contributors uh, Mark uh, I thought it was a very good suggestion it's one that's been swimming around anyway the, the bulletin is daily that's going to stay at twelve we're always going to have that and it happens at twelve thirty every single day um, unless there's a weekend day where we're not playing. But that said, even though we don't have a game this weekend, we're going to run a bulletin on the Saturday. Um, when there's a game, of course, we do the match day coverage as well, and you normally get four or five bulletins that day. So Mark came up with a suggestion because he and many others are tired with some of the long-standing shows, the talk shows, the phone-in the shows that you get on the radio. Now, I've got to confess, um, and I don't know it's never been really part of my routine to tune into these shows. I'm not slagging them off, I'm not criticising them, because I genuinely don't listen to them. Um, But they're they're well established, they've been going for 20-odd, sometimes longer years. Um, But a lot of Celtic fans are dismayed by what they hear on these shows, and they see that The shows have their own narrative. And often the narrative that they have is an anti-Celtic narrative. And what I can definitely say is, yes, I criticise elements of Celtic. I criticise players. I criticise management. I criticise the board. I'm a Celtic fan, first and foremost. And I have absolutely no agenda against Celtic Football Club. But what I think is important is that we we raise awareness and we raise issues that we're not happy with. Because if we don't, then all you have left is you have no alternative voice. All you have left is you have the official vehicle of the club and you have a mainstream media that may have an agenda. Now, I say may have because I think back to an event that I did um, quite some time ago now with uh, Tom Boyd and Simon Donnelly. And in uh, promotion of that event, we did a a press call. So we just sent out a press release to members of um, all the press out there, most of the press out there. And they get the opportunity to come along and get an interview with Simon Donnelly and Tom Boyd. And in return, what happens is they promote the event that you are trying to promote at that that time. So you normally do these things um, in the week of maybe a big European game. Unfortunately, we won't have many of those uh, for a wee while. In fact, we won't have any of those until the new season. So anyway, that's the way it works. You might think that I'm um, hooting myself out to the the national press. But if you're trying to raise funds for charity, etc., as that particular event did, sometimes that's the way that it works and you use it as a vehicle. So anyway, on that particular day, I remember one of the guys that turned up, one of the journalists that turned up was Anthony Haggerty. And I'd never met Anthony before. But what became very, very clear very quickly is that he was a good guy. He was a good spud and he was a Celtic fan. So anyway, we had a good chat that day and I remember him leaving uh, the venue and saying to me, you know, Paul, we're not all bad guys. And that stuck with me because they're not. And there's a lot of people out there that I've met, people like Hugh McDonald, who is fantastic, brilliant writer, superb writer first and foremost, but he's part of this mainstream media that people despise, a lot of people despise it. I can understand why, due to maybe an agenda, due to some of the narrative and due to some of the uh, big, big stories in Scottish football that were not covered sufficiently or have been forgotten about. Um, you know, And that, that's happened as well. We all know what we're talking about. But there are figures within that area and within that field who I've got a lot of respect for. Um, and I'm not going to name them all but Hugh McDonald is one of them Anthony Haggerty is another and I'm pretty sure you'll realise that when Anthony comes on to the show which he has done um, a couple of times now he's been on three times he said he's hat-tricking we need to present him with a ball an axon ball um, what he provides is is absolutely brilliant it's, it's a great standard um, of input and content when Tony is involved so it's not as black and white as a lot of people think it is and um, you know I don't think it's hooring yourself out when for example you're asked to comment on Celtic's current situation as I, I was last month and it wasn't egotistical anybody that actually knows me would realise it's not uh, the first person to criticise me is me and I don't take all that side of things so seriously in terms of me but I take Axom seriously and I take my football club seriously so if you're able to air your views um, and be a voice of and I'm not saying I'm the voice of the fan but A voice um, who has been able to look at the way that Celtic fans are feeling through the Axon broadcasts and air those views. And does that make any difference? Because that's another thing that came out yesterday on Twitter. What you're doing makes no difference. Well, I disagree with that. I think that, um, and I had back to the street movements um, of yesteryear, I wasn't comparing where Celtic are just now to the 90s. But you look at those street movements, you look how influential the fanzine movement was for Celtic uh, and the street movements that uh, came thereafter. So we had a a clutchy Celtic fanzine, some came and went, but some of the long-standing ones from back then um, I always subscribed to Not The View um, and I read Once A Tim, Always A Tim and from Once A Tim, Always A Tim. Uh, you got a a voice of Matt McGlone, who at that time worked under a pseudonym. So if you are looking at early copies, I think, was it Rory Collins was uh, Matt's pseudonym at that time. But Matt uh, was the editor of Once A Tim. And what grew from Once A Tim, not if you and various other uh, fanzines and the fanzine movement, was that the Celtic fans had a voice. So we had um, Save Ourselves initially, which was a fan movement, um, and it was set up by none other than our very own Jim Moore and others. And we've interviewed Jim a few times about that, and also Willie Wilson. There was a few others involved. Um, that hit a brick wall after a while, um, but from the kind of dying embers of that was this belief that we could uh, be organised, we could come together as a fan base, and we could make a difference. And Matt McGloughan, Brendan Sweeney and others uh, were obviously... Massive instrumental in sales for change. So I don't subscribe to the fact that fans and a fan movement, a fan group, um, is pointless, meaningless, and it won't make any difference. I think it's it's vital. Uh, and in regards to the, the the kind of comments or the criticism around getting into bed with mainstream media outlets like Sky Sports and and speaking to them again what happens is it's not about putting yourself out there or trying to increase your own exposure. It's about the information that's been provided to us and to a Celtic state mind by fans who tune in on a daily basis. Um, So just to try and clear that up as well, because you do get a lot of criticism for it. Uh, Philip Halloran, welcome to the show. You're commenting on YouTube. Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're all well. And I hope everybody's well uh, during these difficult times as well. Because, you know, I've spoken about Rock Talk and a lot of people are struggling at this moment in time and um, I brought that up the other day when we were speaking about renewing season tickets. Um, Natasha Miko, one of our uh, newer pundits who um, had joined the Axon team over the last few weeks, said that, you know, she supports Celtic and she will renew. And there's so many fans like uh, Natasha and I think... You know, I will, I will always support Celtic first and foremost. Um, but there's a lot of fans who are saying that the only way in making a change at this moment in time is by not renewing and by withholding cash and by not buying official merchandise, etc. So it's interesting to hear those views because I think some people say, well, you're holding the club to ransom. Um, we're in a, a situation at the moment where a lot of people want change. So let's have a look at Darren Foy's comment on that with there being a chance of a change at CEO level would a manager want to come in with that uncertainty and would a new CEO want to appoint their own manager I think that's an excellent point Darren because it's been a poor season so far we are going to try and look at um, a positive twist on that uh, because I'm going to look at January and I'm going to ask a question by looking at the fixtures will we claw anything back in the month of January because it does appear that the the fixtures between now and the end of the month favour Celtic and now that's on paper and I take that on the chin it's on paper you never know (laughs) which Celtic are going to turn up Um, but by the same token let's have a look at the the corresponding fixtures but I think what you're saying there Darren is very interesting because we expected a change didn't we and a lot of people were frustrated by the way the club responded to, for example, the protests outside Celtic Park after the Ross County game. Um, So when you look at the reaction of the fans and then the lack of reaction and the lack of engagement by the club uh, to those fans, you sometimes think to yourself, there must be something else going on here. There must be something else in the background because the guys that run this club, the two big figureheads, because remember, uh, people are people are um, answerable, obviously, to a board. But, you know, when you think about Celtic and you think about the decision makers, all you seem to think about is two names. And the two names are Peter Lowell and Dermot Desmond. These are the two big figures and I think there's been a big criticism and I think it's right to criticise some of the other people, particularly the chairman, um, some of the other people who are on that board who are almost faceless entities, faceless entities who, who don't push for change, um, who allow, I think, um, certain people within the club to have it their own way. Uh, they could definitely make a bigger change. So the reason Darren Foy's uh, message, the reason his comment I find so interesting is it could well be that there is a bigger change he's foot at Celtic. And they're looking at the situation and saying, well, if a new CEO comes in and we've just appointed a new manager, will that even prevent the CEO from coming in? Will part of the stipulation be that they want to be part of that recruitment process? If they're going to be working, and now I know that Peter Loa was into his 18th year as a CEO at Celtic, and that's unusual. But if they're coming into a process, let's say, where the CEO is expecting to be in position for three to five years, then surely they want to work with a manager that they have had a part to play in terms of the recruitment I think it's a great point Darren and it's a point very well made, now something else that's happening in the background at the moment is that Colin Watts just popped up um, as part of this broadcast so I'm going to call him in, there he is, there's the man, Colin Watts, welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, how are you sir? I'm doing well Paul, you seem to be doing very well running the show yourself,
5: you're doing very well sir.
3: Oh, well, well, thank you very much. But, um, you know, it's sort of very platitudinous. And, you know, we've been criticised on this show for not giving enough plaudits to Celtic. Um, I'm going to be looking at some of the more positive elements of this month. Absolutely. But what I was just saying there is a great point came through from Darren Colin in relation to bigger changes at the club, perhaps. We are calling for maybe a change at a higher level, which would result perhaps in a structural change in terms of bringing in a new CEO. If that is in the mix... Do you think that could be one of the reasons or a big, big reason for Celtic's inaction in terms of the manager situation?
5: It it really wouldn't surprise you with it. I mean, there's been discussion of potentially Peter Lowell stepping down this season, the sort of the 10-in-a-row era, as I was talking about yesterday, coming to an end. So when you kind of bring in new change, you're looking at new change right across the board. Um, So maybe it is, it's a kind of case of Uh, Peter Lowell's going well we'll all go out together, we'll not go out um, separate, we'll go out as a team and that's the problem it's the sort of pals act and that's what's carried Celtic through the last couple of years is when you look at the people that's came in, especially guys like Gavin Strachan, Gavin Strachan came in because he's Gordon Strachan's son it wasn't (laughs) because he was the best coach out there it was because there was the pals act there where Gordon Strachan's pals with the guys that are behind the scenes at Celtic he's put his... um, is put his thoughts forward saying, look, my, my son's available, can he come in? And even John Kennedy, John Kennedy seems to be pals with the guys behind the scenes. So you put it all together, it's all pals act. So th- for me, that's one of the main reasons that Neil Lennon's still in a position at Celtic Football Club is that they're looking out for the pals, they're bringing the pals in and they're not actually looking at the structure and what's best for the club.
3: You know when you look at the, the current situation Colin And there's been a lot of people who are a bit bemused by the lack of action I've criticised the club for a lack of engagement um, This podcast has been called a negative state of mind I've got a positive state of mind I've actually got a positive state of mind um, But I think it is important that you've got to keep questioning You've got to keep challenging And I've seen a brilliant quote about the club having extraordinary standards um, and the and the fan base has extraordinary demands I'm happy with that you know you're happy to have these high high demands because if you don't then you're quite happy to allow uh, the rot to set in so as soon as the signs were there Celtic fans start complaining on podcasts like this rightly so it's not as though we're watching a win inside and we're looking for faults. It's not as though we're criticising for the sake of it. We're doing it because something has been wrong all season. A number of things have contributed to that. Um, but we do want to talk about transfers today, Colin. And I also want to talk about January as a month, looking ahead, looking forwards. Let's try and look forward to January. Um, so the first thing I'm going to do, and I'm definitely not going to take my off the comments section because until you came in, it was just us and them. I was just talking to the people coming in, Colin, so I'm not going to forget about them, that's for sure. Um, someone has come in in relation to what they expect the transfer window to look like, and that's Derek Ritchie. So welcome to the show, Derek. Uh, for everybody who is watching the video on YouTube, it's important to us that you subscribe that you give us a thumbs up, all that kind of stuff, Colin, because that um, enhances our YouTube channel. We don't yep. make... We, we're not doing it because we want you to pay for anything. We just want you to subscribe so we can grow the channel. Um, so, Derek... Says, no doubt, sign third-rate players in positions we don't need that won't get a game and come out the window weaker than we went in. This was the big thing in relation to the last transfer window, Colin. And people laugh at me now, and I've seen people retweeting uh, the broadcast where I asked the question, is it the best transfer window? Fair enough, I take it on a chin. It's a sizable enough chin to take it on. So, Derek Rich's point there. um, I think when we looked at the last transfer window... The question was, do we come out of it stronger than we went into it? Now, for, Forster aside, I think we all kind of thought we did. We did come out of it because we kept all the players that had been kind of rumoured to be on the move or get gathering interest in Cham, Roderick, Christie, Ayer and Eduard. We kept them all. We kept every single one of those players and we added another six. To the squad, yes we weren't able to keep Forster, but we brought in what we thought Was um, A replacement in Barkas, who was An international goalkeeper, with a massive Price tag, so at that Time, I think a lot of people thought Yeah, we've come out of that window Stronger than we went Into it, what was your thoughts at the time Colin Thinking back?
5: I mean definitely When you look at it on paper, I would say that The team looked stronger as a whole Coming out of that transfer window um, you're signing guys like uh, Diego Laxalt, who was in the team of the year at the last World Cup you're signing guys like Albina Yeti who uh, West Ham had paid £8 million for I actually took Neil Lennon to go and meet him to convince him to come to the club we would managed to keep a hold of guys as you are saying, like Godson Edward like Ryan Christie um, Olivier and Cham as well Yeah. so when you looked at it on paper, it looked a great transfer window but obviously football's not it's, And the performances that the guys have shown so far this season haven't kind of lived up to the expectations that those um, signings were given to us. Now, I mean, I've seen a point today that uh, AC Milan are looking to basically get rid of Diego Laxalt permanently. Um, mm. I think the team was Al Halal over uh, in the UAE who were looking to sign him. We would offered him £2 million a year and he turned down the deal because he wants to look to get a permanent uh, deal here at Celtic. Now, that's going to be a big outlay. Now, at the minute, you wouldn't trust the current management team to spend that kind of money because you don't know if they're going to be there in the summer. I mean, all signs kind of suggest that they, they won't be there in the summer, so you're not going to give them £10-15 million pounds in January only for the new guy to come in to take a look at the team and then suggest that the players that are there isn't the players that he wants at the club. I think in January we'll be looking at probably bringing in guys that are like either on a sort of pre-contract basis or uh, loan deals between now and, then, and I can't see is going out and spending a lot of money. Um, but when you look at it what can we do with this season? When you look at Tony Mowbray's last transfer window, we brought in guys like um, Diamancy Kamara, Robbie Keane. Uh, that was in mind to try and save the season that we've got there. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of approach they take again this year because behind the scenes they do believe they can still turn this round and there's still Celtic fans that believe they can turn it around. But if that's the case, they have to kind of show that for the, for the most... I think Celtic fans have kind of written off this season. They're looking to the future. They'd rather see we bring in and strengthen ahead of the European qualifiers in the summer. So it's kind of a split base and the signings will go on depending on which camp that you fall into. You,
3: you know the thing, Colin, right? <clears throat> and there's been some heated debates, particularly on social media, about, uh, you know, keep keep the faith. keep the, And they're being called a keep the faith brigade and we've had that chat on this po- podcast. Now, Let's not forget why there are people who say keep the faith. And I don't. And I don't take it lightly. And I don't like criticising it. The reason is because there have been, Celtic are, have always been, they were born of being the underdog. And, you know, when you're looking at the the past victories, you know, pulling success from the joys of despair. And I've mentioned the, the 1986 season, Love Street, winning it on the last day in unlikely circumstances, 10 men winning the league in 79, there's so many other examples, they, these are a wee bit older than before your time son, but um, there's so many examples, so people that are indoctrinated into the way uh, Celtic, into the a uh, Celtic state of mind if you like, is because we believe anything is possible, uh, because we've got a kind of fairy tale history, so I get all that, I absolutely do, but I think when you break it all down to this season, and you try to be a realist, you know, yeah my heart, absolutely would say, ah, oh, Celtic can pull this back, we're Celtic, we've got the players, Neil Lennon's in charge. But my head tells me something completely different. And when I look at the performances, and when I look at the, the, the stone-cold facts in the matter, coupled with the fact that the the team at the top of the league don't look as though they're going to buckle. I, I've said this for a few weeks, Dundee United 2-1, Motherwell 3-1, they got beat from St Mirren, uh, Hibs, was it 2-1? 2-1 Hibs at home? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, and then we, we went toe to toe with them, and, and for last parts of that game, Celtic dominated. So I did feel that these were the types of games that were showing signs that Rangers could be got at. But if they come through a run of performances, uh, like that, fairly unscathed, I know they're out of the cup then they'll be looking at that and saying, well, that's championship winning form. And I know... This
0: week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust.
3: possess the same type of players that we have in terms of having been through all this and won two, two uh, you know, trophies and won leagues have not been through it. But they've got, they have got the momentum now. And th- this is my biggest concern. So when I'm looking um, at the fixers, which we'll do in a few moments, I'm still looking at them with my heart. I'm still looking at them thinking we can get maximum points this this month, right, from the four games. And I'm looking at some of their fixtures thinking that's a tricky one. That's a... So I still have that about me because I'm a Celtic fan. And that is passed down to you with all the stories and all the songs, and all these victories, these unlikely victories, Colin, of Celtic being the underdog. So that's fine. And I get it. And we don't have to fall out about it. But... When you start looking at it with your head and you start thinking, well, look at where we are. Look how far we have fallen this season. Then all the other issues that are happening in the background. So we're going to talk about transfers just now. But before we do that, you've got to consider the point that was made earlier. If a new CEO is coming in at the end of the season, then the likelihood of us sacking the manager at this moment in time is slim to none. Even if we go out on Monday night and don't get a result against Hibs, if we are appointing a new CEO at the end of the season. So, great point, absolutely. So if that's the case, you've then got a manager who potentially won't be there beyond this season. Therefore, like what you said, we're not going to give him millions of pounds to go and spend. Now, the the Mowbray transfer window you're referring to, we sold Scott McDonald, three and a half million, wasn't it, to Middlesbrough, which more or less financed the Robbie Keane deal you know, in terms of the wages and everything else that was involved in a, a loan fee. Because we brought in a Robbie Keane who had been transferred from club to club for several seasons for tens of millions of pounds. And it was a massive, you know, the structure of that deal was huge in terms of the finance. And people say, oh, you know, Dermot Desmond throws a few million at this player and that. No, it doesn't work like that. That's not how football finances work. So we financed that deal by selling Scott McDonald, who, by the way, I reckon we sold prematurely, but you had the whole Robbie Keane thing. I mean, if it, if it gives you a chance to have Robbie Keane in a Celtic jersey, you take it. But really, you know, although I loved watching Robbie Keane, and he was a fine, fine striker, one of the best strikers in my generation as a football fan, it was just short-lived. It was a short-lived process, Colin, because the the likelihood of Celtic actually pulling it back under Mowbray. Under Mowbray at that time w- was very, very slim. Slimmer than even now, I would suggest. And I've been likening this transfer window probably to the 2018 19 one, where we've gone out and we've brought in Toyan for the right back. We've brought in Timo we- Weir. We've brought in Ollie Burke. Now, I don't think any of the three of them could be deemed a successful signings. No, but we. Really. But what happens there, and I'll, I'll use the example of Sorrow and Turnbull coming into the side. What often happens is you get performances out of the players that they're up against. So by the end of that season, Lustig had won his place back in the side. Lustig headers the ball onto Edward to score the winning goal against Hearts in the Scottish Cup final. So often what happens is you're strengthening the squad by bringing in players who can fit a particular position. And I felt for a wee while, that um, believe it or not Colin because you've got to admit these things I thought that Rogers was getting a tune out of work for a wee while I thought there was a performance at Tyne Castle, and all the rest of it he's not a player I rate highly and I certainly wouldn't want him back Timo We Undoubted ability, but I think what happened is he made the wrong decision in, in the eyes of Neil Lennon um, as to his priorities, and therefore he didn't feature much. But he still speaks very, very well about Celtic, so great, and I wish him all the best. But I think we're going to be looking at a transfer window similar to that. Now we brought in three loans already. Colin, will you confirm the the limit is six? Yes, is right? six. right. Yep. So we could we could bring in another three. I actually expect, and it's due to the circumstances we've. We've discussed about the manager, the CEO. I expect us not to bring in any permanent signings. I think we'll bring in three loan players. And it's due to the fact that the manager may not be there beyond this season and neither may the CEO. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a possibility? Is that realistic?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the route that we ended up going down. Yeah. Um... I think you you have got to utilise what is out there and what's available. Obviously, you look now that uh, Brexit's now kicked in, so signing guys like Patrick Klamala would be even harder nowadays. Um, So maybe that's not a bad thing because we have spent a lot of money on guys like Klamala, like Bio, um, where we've kind of went out to these sort of uh, more obscure markets and tried to pick up a rough gem and turn them into something. Um, We won't be able to do that now because there is a sort of points-based system where these players have got to have played so many times for their uh, under-21s team or for their uh, national team before they can even be considered for signing um, in the UK. So that might change the transfer strategy that we'll have. Just when you're speaking about that transfer window, it also reminds me of the transfer window where um, we brought in Craig Bellamy as well. Mm.
1: Um,
5: it seems to be the sort of go-to is when things aren't going so well, you sort of bring in the big name and hopefully get the fans behind them and take them on for the rest of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that we look to do. Who would be, though, in this era? Who would be the the Craig Bellamy or the Robbie Keane to bring back in? Um, I mean, who is the names that's out there that you could actually bring up?
3: It's a good point. Uh, And I think that uh, one, of the, one of the finest players we brought in, even for a short period, was... Craig Bellamy is a big pal of the show, obviously, isn't he?
5: Yeah, he is. Big shout-out for John Dykes um, for putting on uh, putting on a great charity event uh, for some great causes. Um,
3: well done. Keep up the good work and um, hope everyone enjoys it. Take care. Bye. The bold Craig Bellamy there, who uh, obviously wishes us all the best. He's now the Anderlecht Under-21 coach, is uh, Craig Bellamy. But um, Colin, let me know, because my video has frozen at this end can you still see me moving about uh, I, you I can
5: cannot, but I, I cannot no but I can hear you so it's still going okay
3: so there'll be no complaints about that then so when you're looking at you know this marquee signing I don't think we're going to go for that I really don't because when you consider a couple of the, the players you've already mentioned Robbie Kane Craig Bellamy are very offensive attacking players I don't think that's where our troubles really lie, is it? Um, the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to look at the six players that we brought in, Colin. And that, uh, these players are Laxalt, uh, El Yonoussi, Badcast, Turnbull, Ayeti and Duffy. I'd like uh, to ask you um, to give me your, your take on where they, have they been successful? This is just thrown me a wee bit because everything's going a bit slow on my camera. Have they been successful or not? So we'll start off with Diego Luxalt, Colin. Uh, now, there is an opportunity, perhaps, to make that move permanent. I don't know what the kind of fee is that they're going to be looking for. I would expect it to be um, £6 million plus. I'm not sure if you've seen any of the potential fees. Let's start yep. with Di- Diego Luxalt. Has he been an effective signing? Um, has he been a hit since we brought him in?
5: I think that you've seen more good than bad from him. Um, has he been the most consistent player? I wouldn't say so. Has he been the kind of player that we expected when we brought him in? I think he did it first. I mean, his performance against AC Milan was really impressive. Um, he had several of these performances in Europe. Hasn't really done it so much in the league so far. Um, I feel as though when he came in, he was sort of like... Um, he was free to do what he know, knew best to do he was the one that was instigating the attacks going forward, he was throwing himself into tackles, he was um, getting himself up and down the park and I think that was just what he knew from when he was playing at AC Milan and when he was on loan last season but when he came in and started to adapt it to the style of football that we are playing, I think that's when his um, performances started to regress a bit and I just wonder if you could just say to him, look Just play the way you know how to play and we can kind of work around that because there is a quality player in there but we're not seeing the best of them at the minute.
3: I think there is, yeah, there is a, a quality player in uh, Diego Luxalt. I'm not quite sure where he fits in, where his best position is, Colin, um, in relation to how we are setting up at the moment, because although the Diamond has been very successful, and that will bring in one of the other players on that list, in David Turnbull, I think that's been very successful. I'm still a bit uh, dubious about the the backs at the moment and how they are implemented in that and that's. And that's Side in terms of Frimpong and Lexol. Um so th- that's another that's another discussion entirely because uh, obviously we also need to look at the centre half positions uh, as well. So Luxol gets a thumbs up from you. Yep. overall overall. Yep. Um, now El Yunus is a player that we know well we know him well because he's, he's in his second loan deal at Celtic I think that it was very unfortunate that he was played in last season's League Cup final when he was clearly unfit and it really did damage the, the rest of his season, yep. uh, he was walking about in a moon boot just before that game apparently he should never have played um, but I mean we've seen some signs, he's, he's scored a few important goals in Europe, He scored the hat-trick against Motherwell, there's been signs from El Yunus this season um, in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down, where do you stand on El Yunusi this year?
5: He is very hot and cold. I mean, when he's good, he's fantastic. Um, getting the hat-trick away to Motherwell was superb. Some of his performances in Europe have been really good as well. But we just don't seem to get a consistent run out of him. And I don't know if that's because we're playing him out on the left, but I don't think it is his best position. Um, or whether he's just not getting a run at it. Um, you see him coming off the bench he, he scored a fantastic header he seems to do really well in the air for a guy that's not that tall um, so I, I don't know if you can get sort of 5-6 games in a row of consistency out of him um, it would definitely be a success this season but it's it's just another one, for me he's very similar to, to Ryan Christie I think when the two of them are playing well they're a really great asset to have to the side but when they're off the boil, they're almost like a man down on the park. You don't get a lot out of them.
3: No, you don't. And I've said before, I'm just checking his height here, because I'm not sure he's that small, to be honest with you. Um, I've said before about El Yunusi. It's a difficult one if you've got El Yunusi and Cham and Roger all in the same team because it's very unlikely that all three of them will perform and that's because they, for me are probably the three most inconsistent players we have in Cham Rojic, and El Yunusi, you may get a tune out of one of them Colin but the other two will be passengers and that's the risk that really is a risk of playing someone like that uh, and playing them regularly so yes El Yunusi. so is it a thumbs up or a thumbs down overall this season?
5: Uh, it's uh, it's uh, in between
3: You're still undecided yeah. is that something that's maybe being swayed by performances you've seen prior to this season? Because, again, there was a spell last season where it looked very good.
5: Yeah, I mean, my favourite Elanussi performance is still the win away last season um, in Rome. He was outstanding that game. He was throwing himself about. If you look at the first goal when James Forrest scores, he's the one that actually digs in to win the ball back to then set him up. Um, I think, and a lot of the comments are coming in saying as well, I think he's best suited as a number 10. I don't think he's he's got the pace to play wide left. Um, I think he's better coming through the middle. And you've seen, when you look at the, the YouTube videos that are out there, when he links up with Albina Yeti, it's when the two of them are playing through the middle. You never really see El playing wide left. Um, and he's obviously done it as well for his country this year so there is a great player in there I just don't think the system we play um, helps him develop to the kind of player that he can be
3: And then when going back to his diamond which has been very effective Colin um, coupled with the two up front the partnership of Eddie and Griff which saved our season last season um, mm-hmm. and yep. we, were, we were hoping prior to the game Ibrox that it was going to do the same this season it's going to be very difficult then for El Unissi to to become a first team regular, because where would he fit in there? Because you're not going to drop Turnbull for him, are you? Um, no, based on know. based on his form, um, and you're not going to play him as a second striker because of the partnership between Eddie and Griff.
5: No, it's a difficult one, and I think someone came in and saying how many number tens do we have, and that's probably the issue that we've got. We have strengthened in positions where we were already had the kind of depth in them. Um and the play, the positions that we're missing out on at the minute are the positions that we're quite um light in. For example, on right midfield, you're really missing uh, James Forrest this season.
1: Yeah. He's
5: a guy that creates sort of twenty assists and fifteen goals a season over the last couple of years. He's been really impressive. Now you're kinda of out there, you're stuck to sort of playing Uh, Ryan Christie or Callum McGregor on the right hand side when they're not natural wingers. You've got Jeremy Frimpong who wants to play a bit more further forward uh, but you're still relying on him to come back as well so you can't really commit to being uh, in a forward position. So we have a lot of strength and depth through the middle of the park but wide left and wide right we really haven't um, strengthened and it's probably... if
3: it was any normal transfer window I would suggest that somewhere that Celtic would really look to him yeah I mean now comes uh, it comes on to the biggie yeah the big question of Barkas he was a big big signing for Celtic in the transfer window Colin and yes he was the backup plan there's no doubt about it we had mm-hmm. kind of you know pushed for Fraser Forster to come back Fraser Forster changed his mind at the last minute Uh And, you know, we'd already let Craig Gordon go. The the wheels were in motion for Gordon to go. The backup plan was Barcast. He's come in with a big transfer fee on his head. He has come in for a lot of criticism. He's obviously not been written off by Celtic yet because he's regained the gloves. He's back in goals. How would you rate his performances so far? Has he been a, a flop or has he been a hit?
5: It's a difficult one with Barkas, I think, because he's not really had a save to make, but in the same sense he's still not made a save this season. Um there's never <laughs> been a point where there's never been a point where you punt to him in the same way that you would have turned to Fraser Foster and say, This guy has won us three points today.
3: There was there like, was a moment there was a moment at Ibrox where the ball hits off um Callum McGregor's shoulder. I would have expected him to save that mate. He had a save to make then. Didn't uh, he make it?
5: No, that's that is really harsh if you're saying that that's the criticism of Barca's is he never saved that. Um, no, that's one
3: example. He's had plenty of saves to make that he's no made.
5: The, fir- the, first
3: game, the first game against Rangers, he's still standing there. Uh, the,
5: the first game, I agree. I think he was at fault for the goals. The I'm, not saying
3: he, I'm not saying he was at fault at Ibrox. I'm saying that he had a safe to make. He didn't make it. Well, agree to
5: disagree. I don't think he could have saved that. I, I said, don't even he, think... He's he said plenty of saves. He said plenty of
3: saves to make. He said plenty of saves to make. I just think because he's not clawed one out the you know the top corner, people are saying he's not had a safe to make. It's because he's not made them. He's had plenty of saves to make because he's conceded plenty of goals.
5: Oh, he's definitely ple- conceded plenty of goals, and I think all three wow. goalkeepers have conceded plenty of goals. Um, I don't know if it helps the fact that you've not, or it doesn't help with the fact that you've not got a settled back four, back five, back three, whatever you want to play in front of him as well. So getting that sort of trust and communication within your team, you see that at times. At times, I mean, I've seen someone try to blame Barkas for near Beaton sending off. I mean, Beaton's 25 yards away from the goal. He doesn't need to make the tackle that he's making. But I suppose, in a sense, someone's trying to say, well, the communication should be between the defenders and the goalkeeper. I disagree completely, but I can only see that's the way that they're coming around it for me it's a position we do need to strengthen and I guess we are sort of, uh, we have been blessed over the last couple of years with the goalkeepers that we've had, um, go- looking at guys like Arthur Boric, Fraser Foster and that's where these guys are being compared to I think Barkas maybe needs another six months to settle in, I would give him to the end of the season if you mm. can bring someone in to strengthen that department between now and the end of the season I think that would be a big plus sign for us uh, but I think you really won't be able to fully rate Barca till next summer. Um, I wouldn't be looking to get rid of him at this point.
3: So you're on the fence, like you were with El Elunece at the moment with Barca. You're not. You're not going to write them off.
5: No, I'm not going to write them off just yet. No.
3: Now, you said there about strengthening in that department. The very fact that Neil Lennon started playing him again after Conor Hazard had played a massive part, calling and Celtic winning the Scottish Cup, that would suggest to me that we're just going to run with what we have in terms of the goalies, Scott Bain, Conor Hazard uh, and the Vesillas uh, Barkas. I mean, are you expecting us to go out and buy another?
5: I, I think that might be the end of the road for one of the goalkeepers, but I don't think it would be Barkas. I, I know he's came in and he's played a couple of games but I also wouldn't be surprised to see Connor Hazard go out and loan for the rest of the season just for him to get the experience but the move would need to be within the Premiership um, the Scottish Premiership, not the English Premiership um, and it would need to be to a team where he's going to get um, the chance to play at this level week in and week out. You look at a guy like Alan McGregor, so Rangers loaned out Alan McGregor to St Mirren and to the Inferno and before he made his way through into the Rangers' side, he was able to gain that experience of playing in that league. When you look at Connor Hazard's last loan deal, it was out to Dundee in the Championship. You need him to play at a higher level. I think that's what they tried to do with Ross Doohan this season when they loaned him out to uh, Ross County. He's not been given the chance because of all the other Rosses that's in front of him at Ross County. Um, But yeah, if you're going to rely on Hazard to be either your number two or eventually your number one, then you've got to give him the game time and I don't think he'll get it at Celtic to the end of the season because either someone coming in or they'll keep it with Barkas through the end of the year.
3: Yeah, sure. So we've got uh, Lax salts getting a, a green tick from you. You're on the fence rail, well, you're now seeing Barkas. Next up is David Turnbull. Been a bit of a revelation.
5: He has and he's got that something about him that we've just not been able to see a lot of. Um whether that's because he wasn't ready, he was just coming back from his long-term injury. I know he was um, he was off with it when he was diagnosed with COVID. Um, David Turnbull in the last kind of six seven games that he's played has been a major major benefit to this side. He's been really really um, a big talking point of everything that Celtic do going forward, and. I I think he has the ability to be the best player in Scotland, maybe not just now, but in maybe six to 12 months time. I think he's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Laura Bradburn compared him to Paul McStay a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and as I said, I never got the chance to uh, see Paul McStay in the flesh, but maybe the, the seeds are there that he could be um, as good as the maestro going forward. At the game at the weekend, I think he looked a bit tired towards the end, just before he was coming off. Um, But I think that's maybe just down to the fact he's played a lot of games in a short period of time before having not played a lot. And I really hope that we do, between now and the end of the season, see more out of him. He would certainly be one of the first names on the team sheet for me. And uh, yeah, massive green tick for him.
3: You want him and Sorrow, Colin, don't you? You want them to remain as part of that diamond because that has really been... If last season was all about Eddie and Griffiths coming in and in previous seasons we had the, the Hartley and Robson season coming in to save the day, you kind of felt that Turnbull and, and Sorrow were going to be that partnership that was going to come in and turn the season round.
5: Yeah, I mean, you've seen a lot from him. I, I really like Ishmael Asoro, and it really surprises me that it's taken this long for someone like that to make their name in the first team. Surely he's shown this week in, week out in training, and he still couldn't get into that side. That kind of concerns me. What what else is happening over at Lennox Town? Are no. there players over there that are really um, showing what they can do and not getting a chance? I see Luke Connell travelled over to Dubai with the rest of the team as well. Now, he's not even been on the bench at any point. But between now and the end of the season, I'd be really surprised if we don't see him involved in some uh, capacity, whether it be coming off the bench for 15, 20 minutes. Everybody, I mean, you said it yourself, Paul. If I'd said to you back in August, we're going to be playing as Malasoro as our number one midfielder in January, he'd have been saying something's went really wrong here. But no, it's not the case. It's the case that he's been the most consistent and the best midfielder that we've got in that position. <sighs>
3: No, you're right and uh, I I do remember his name being quoted but I think there was an air I'm not going to say desperation I think it was the last throw of the the dice Colin it was almost as if we would tried everybody else and a lot of these names were starting to be thrown into the pot and we've seen it you know Soros name being commented on time and time again um, but he was alongside the likes of Luca Connell and I don't think he was any further ahead in terms of what I had seen in a Celtic jersey but I'm not watching him every day at training like you say and Brian Harkin raises the point as well, throwing the youngsters identify the players we need now um, I think if you were to do that right at this moment in time though we'll Colin there may also be the view that we're throwing in the towel as well as throwing in the youngsters because we, we were pretty critical earlier on in the season. Um, you know, when Celtic were facing Rangers and we've had to throw in young Welsh, you know, he'd only played one game at that time. Uh, there's been occasions in Europe where we've had to play Henderson. He's come off the bench. There's been other occasions where Anthony Ralston, um, you know, has been one of the only options and has made it onto the bench. So these guys haven't played enough for me. Uh, You know, if they're going to come into the first team, they should already have had a period where we're giving them game time, even if the games are in the ones that you would expect to be far more comfortable. So, we do have a a group of fixtures, you know, generally at Celtic Park Column, where you would expect Celtic to win the game. And I don't mean that being big headed or entitled. So, you're playing Hamilton first day of the season. Give some of these guys half an hour in a game like that. Try and build up their confidence and their experience so that when you come to the big game where you've had a few injuries or illnesses and you're having to throw in young Welsh, and by the way, I don't think he he played particularly badly in the game. No, Um, He he played against AC Milan in the same weekend and he's kind of disappeared from view. I don't think that's how you develop a young player.
5: No, and we had the chance. I mean, we do have the five substitutions this season, which will probably not be the case from next season onwards. Um, This was the season where you did have the opportunity to um, include the youngsters on the bench to throw them on for 10-15 minutes to see what they could do, but we also had the chance to loan them out. We could have loaned them out to teams within the rest of the league because when you look at it, we are now relying on other teams to try and take points off Rangers to get any sort of title challenge back open and there's guys in that squad that aren't going to get the game time at Celtic that that could be loaned out to other teams within the league. Who could strengthen them that could make it that so when Rangers got to play against them, that it's a more difficult um, opposition that they've got to face. Like Guys like Patrick Klamalla, he's not going to get a run of six or seven games this season in a row to see if he's going to be good enough. Laura's doubling down on this mixed day thing, isn't she? Um, but th- these guys, and guys like Henderson, and guys like Dembele, and others, even Anthony Ralston these guys should be out on loan at teams in the Premiership.
3: No, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with that because otherwise, Colin, they're simply not playing competitive football. You know, when was the last time that Anthony Ralston played a competitive match of football? Was it last season he was on to St. Johnson? You were looking at the loan players. Yeah,
5: it, so, he, was, he was a consistent performer for them last season. He was, I think, that if... Um, the manager who's totally for, uh, slipped my mind The left St Johnston. Tommy Wright. Uh, Tommy Wright. If Tommy Wright was still in charge at St Johnston, I think he would have tried to bring him in permanently um, in the summer.
3: Well, you think about, well, you know, his last game would have been March, you know, pre-lockdown, first time round. So he's not played a game of football in 10 months. Now, if you're in your early 20s and you're, you're losing a whole year of your career... He's never kicked a competitive football in ten. That's not good enough. That's not how you develop footballers. And that's something I think uh, we've been very, very poor at over the years. So I'm going to give a big green tick to Turnbull by the sounds of it. We're moving into the realms now. You've had two players that you think have been successes in Diego Luxo and, and David Turnbull. Uh, El Yannoussi you are on the fence. He certainly wouldn't make any snap decisions on them just yet. What about Albion and Ayeti? He comes in with big a big kind of um, you know pedigree if you like he's got a reputation Um, you know we've seen him we've seen him for Bale he's gone to the English Premier League it's not worked out we brought him in for five million what's your thoughts on a Yeti?
5: It's quite funny isn't it because after six games West Ham fans are going why didn't we give this guy a chance he'd scored five goals he'd made an assist he was looking like um, the kind of penalty box striker that we were crying out for that performance at home to Hibs um, was outstanding and then he gets injured and we've not really seen the best of him since. He's also not been given a full opportunity to prove himself since and his performances where he's came off the bench, he's looked sluggish he's looked sort of disinterested but every time that he comes off the park he generally looks disappointed with himself I feel as though he's a very um, confidence based player and I think if he gets a couple of goals he can go on a season but so far if you had to compare it overall I would say that um,
3: it's probably been a
5: thumbs down to a Yeti signing
3: this season. It's a shame. Right it, yeah, it's a shame because he looked so good uh, you know in dispatches, Colin. And then recently when he's been coming on as a sub, he's been really ineffective. Maybe yeah. looks as though well he's carrying a wee bit of weight. To be fair, looking at the pictures in Dubai, he's looking a wee bit trimmer and, and I'm hoping that, you know, coming back it's not I know it's not a pre season, I know it's different, but Coming together with your teammates, being away, coming back, it might make a difference for Yeti. But in saying that, he would need to try and break up the partnership now of Edward and Griffiths that for several months, many fans have been crying out for. I think the reason that that wasn't put out as the, the starting forwards was the fact that Griffiths wasn't fit. Well, he's obviously fit enough now, He started a few games. I don't think is going to break that partnership up.
5: No, but that partnership's not going to last forever either. Um, it, it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if we sold Odson at this window I see that Edward's actually now got a new agent um, and he's been linked again with the a move to Aston Villa he's only got 18 months left on his deal he's either going to re- re- negotiate a new contract at Celtic to stay for another 12 months and move on in the summer or he'll probably move this window so you have to look to guys like Albina Yeti and to Patrick Kamala to step in, because you're not going to replace someone of the quality of Odson Edward overnight. That's going to take a, a big job. And I don't trust the, the scouting team behind the scenes that they've got someone in, ready to go, um, so that if um, Odson Edward moved on, they could go and bring this guy in, in a couple of weeks. I don't trust that. So you've got to look to the players that you've got.
3: Well, you you look at the situation prior. Um, you know we had Dembele and Edward both at the club, and as Celtic fans, we realised that the cycle was going to result in Dembele leaving the club. But you were quite confident because you had Edwards, you know, developing in the background, Colin, and perhaps. And I'm not comparing them or saying they're at the same level. We've looked at a Yeti, stepping in but he's not really came up to any kind of level that would suggest, like you say, that he's going to step in, is he? Um, so that, that'll be an interesting thing if indeed Edward leaves in this window. Um, Duffy, there you go. There's a big name. Shane Duffy comes in in a bit of a blaze of glory. Celtic fans have been crying out for Shane Duffy. We spoke to Spencer Vines, the Brighton and Hove uh author, who told us what you get with Duffy. I don't think we've had it.
5: No, we've not, have we? Um, I don't know what's happening with Shane Duffy um, I don't know if there's he's not got his head quite right since he's moved up here I know he's went through and he's, he's lost his father this year and I don't think he's ever settled in Glasgow I, I don't really know what it is he's not been the player that we really expected him to be um, even in the games where he plays uh, well there's still a mistake or two in there and I feel as though he's really trying far too hard to settle into this side, you saw I think it was the Kilmarnock game when Chris Ayer was given the man of the match Um, he turned round and says uh, this is actually for Shane Duffy and it obviously shows that the the guys are trying to to G him up they know the kind of player that's in there um, but we've not seen enough of it and put it this way, if you were forced to make a decision now on whether you would sign him permanently or give him back to Brighton, um, I think he would go back down south
3: these are the things as well That might be out of the, the club's uh, Kind of control In doing the deal Colin you know It may cost us a lot of money If there's if there's a send back clause So you've basically looked At the six signings Colin You've said thumbs up For Turnbull and Luxall You're on the fence With Elianoussi and Barkas uh, Ayeti and Duffy gets a big Red cross Next to their name At this moment in time I, I do believe that Ayeti You know, There's quality in there, we've seen signs of quality in there, but I don't think he's going to get game time, Uh, I really don't think he's going to get the game time, particularly when you're looking at the way that uh, Griffiths and Eduard have teamed up in the past. It takes me on to the subject of transfer targets, and I'm going to have to say it because it has appeared as a a story, as a rumour, in the press, Benkovic... The name keeps coming back up. Benkovic, centre-half, his loan deal to Cardiff has been cut short by Leicester City. Are they looking to send him out and loan elsewhere? If so, do Celtic sign a guy who's played very, very little football since he left the club?
5: Where do you start with um, Benkovic? Benkovic didn't see out um, the rest of his loan deal with Celtic because basically Neil Lennon knew that he was going to be moving on. He was fit. He could play, but he knew that he wouldn't going to be there the next season. So he tried to make a partnership out of the players that would be there. Is he a great player? Yes, he is. Is he someone that I would be? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Celtic make a move for in this window. Yeah, he is because if you look at Celtic's transfers this season, it's all been players that we have previously scouted before. Um, Everybody that we signed this summer, we've looked at trying to sign transfer windows before. Um, there's not been uh, a, a chance that Celtics actually went and scouted a guy for six months before we actually tried to sign him. This is all guys we tried to get before. Mm. This transfer would fit into that mantra. Um, but I think Benkovic really needs a permanent transfer. I don't think a loan deal will help him out. I don't know what he is now. I think he's maybe 24. Um Keeping him fit and spending the money on them is the risk and it's up to Celtic whether they're going to take it. If he comes in, I think it will be on a loan deal, but it will be a last minute thing because I think he'll be really desperately looking for a permanent transfer or a spot in Leicester's squad. <sighs>
3: He's 23, he's 23 Colin, what I would suggest as well, uh, I think he played one game for Cardiff and obviously he's had a a loan deal at Bristol City before then, Um, Alan Morrison who has contributed to Axolm uh, over the the last year or so, put out a very interesting graphic on Twitter to show where Benkovic sits in relation to the defensive stats, I don't know if you've seen that Colin, he was quite high up. Yeah. Pretty high up on the list you know, and he 's comparing some of the center halves from um, the last few seasons, and uh, I think julien was was pretty high up on the list as well, but benkovic his defensive stats were very promising but the the big problem for me is um, are you going to get value because he 's on big wages are you're going to get value in terms of the amount of games that you 're going to get back from him. And um, he's just one name of many that will be popping up over the next couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure. Luxalt, we might have an option to buy him. I asked you before, what kind of fee do you think you're looking at for Luxalt? Six? Seven?
5: Yeah, that's the kind of figures I'd seen over the last few days was around seven million.
3: Um, and then Alfie doty's name has uh, come back into the frame. There's six months of his deal remaining at Charlton. He's been linked to a few other clubs. Stoke are interested. Do you think we'll have a look at him left mid?
5: He certainly fits the, the mantra of a signing Celtic would try to make. He's on a free contract. Um, you'd be able to, to get him without having to spend too much of a development fee because he's making the trip across the border. And I see that... Um, Charlton manager actually came out and confirmed that he wouldn't be signing a new deal at Charlton, that he would be moving on. Um, so, yeah, he would definitely be someone that you look at. Also, in that position, you've got guys like uh, the Preston duo or Bre- Ben Davies and Ben Pearson. So, um, I think there might be a couple of pre contract signings made this summer, um, just to give whoever's going to be coming in a bit of option in his squad, because I think there will also be a lot of players moving out. Um, some players I've also seen linked that I don't think are worth even making the the effort for is uh, guys like um, the boy Gallica from Motherwell. He's just about to turn thirty. I mm. don't think there's. I don't think you're going to get anything out of that. I can't see him being a benefit to the team when you're going to try and get into Europe next season. I don't think he's he's worth that at all. Um, and I've also seen the the moves for the boy Porteous. I don't think he could make that step up to Celtic.
3: No, well, these are big questions, Colin But we have a whole recruitment team And a number of scouts uh, Apparently scouting the world In terms of looking for players all year round So I'm pretty sure there's a few files uh, To be looked at Even though it wasn't that long ago Neil Lennon was telling us He wasn't going to be entering into the the transfer market He was happy with the balance of the side But since then, obviously a week before the Rangers game Big Julian collided with a post And put paid to all of that one final thing before I let you go, Colin. Let's have a look at the fixtures over January. Um, going back to that point we made at the top of the show, whereby, you know, a lot of the time as a Celtic fan, you let your heart roll your head. You think it's not over till it's over. Let's have a look at the January and let's actually ask you your opinion on the fixtures coming up. Starting off with Celtic playing Hibs at home in the next fixture. Do you see a win, draw or loss? I would say
5: win. win. Um, I think Hibs are going through a bit of a tricky patch at the minute and I know we've got our resident Hibs fan on here um, who will tell us if I'm talking nonsense but they have only just managed to bring in a goalkeeper because they're going through a, a bit of a goalkeeper crisis uh, they brought in a boy from Arsenal on loan for the end of the season I believe they're also close to signing Chris Cadden from Columbus he was a very good player at Motherwell um, before he made the transfer over there but um, Hip struggles at times when they come to Celtic Park mm-hmm. and I've, I'd like to think that we have used this break to Dubai for everything that we've claimed to use this break to Dubai for, that they will um, come back fresher, fitter, and ready to go so three points in one day please
3: Okay, corresponding fixture Rangers against Aberdeen at Pataudry, how do you see that one going? Rangers win Oh Um Following Celtic's uh, game against Hibbs, we play Livingston at home. See any trouble there? We beat them three 2 last time round. Uh, I know they scored a kind of a late goal, but um, I can't see there being any issues. Do you?
5: I wouldn't think so. Um, Livingston are doing actually really well under David uh, David Martindale since he's taken over. Um, I know he made the step up from assistant coach to head coach this season. So yeah. Um, they'll be a tricky side to face I'm sure they'll also be a side that comes out and gives us a, a right good goal
3: mm-hmm. um,
5: but I do fancy us to to get the three points there
3: And the corresponding fixture is uh, an away tie for Rangers against Motherwell who at the moment are managerless it would appear that uh, Tommy Wright's in the running the aforementioned Tommy Wright is in the, the running for that job, do you see any shock results there?
5: Again, no. I I, I I, wouldn't want to commit to seeing Rangers drop any points. I know there's the potential there, but they've just not done it so far this season. I'd rather be surprised that they do drop something. I mean, you look at the run they had on um, last year, you didn't expect them to, to drop points to Hamilton and teams like that. Um, I'd rather be surprised if they do do that. And uh, I, I think they'll probably pick up the points Motherwell are having a really bad time at the minute they're kind of languishing towards the bottom of the table maybe if Tommy Wright takes over then they'll be able to get something and they'll be able to get themselves on a run because they have a good squad there but they've not really shown that this season Uh, Mm -hmm. and it kind of surprises me when fans turn around and say, oh we should sign the centre half from Motherwell the team that's sitting towards the bottom of the table
3: Yeah, and what about uh, Celtic's game against Liverpool this time away from home? Any issues there on the plastic pitch?
5: It's traditionally been a place that we struggle um, Mm -hmm. and it's not as if we're intimidated by the arena because when you go to Livingston, um, you've got about seven and a half, eight thousand 8000 Celtic fans there. So it's almost like a home game on a smaller Mm -hmm. park. Mm -hmm. Uh, The plastic pitch seems to be an issue, but we've managed to win on other plastic parks. So I don't see why uh, we can't do it there. Um, It's a bit of a mental thing. It's something we need to go over. But I think we can do it. I think this is the the time. I'd see another three points.
3: Yeah, so a similar result to the one against Hamilton, perhaps. What about Ross County for Rangers? That game is at Ibrox. Yes, John Hughes has had a response from the Ross County side. A big enough response to take anything from Rangers?
5: No, as I said, I I think I'm just... I mean, it's probably going to annoy everyone in the chat, but I'm going to say that uh, Rangers will pick up the maximum points in January as well.
3: As well. So Celtic v. Hamilton, you're expecting... Now, the, the thing with that, Colin, is we currently, as everybody knows, are 19 points behind three games in hand. There's five games whereby we have an opportunity to claw back... We have the power and the influence to, to claw back points on Rangers. Five games, two against them, of course, and the three games in hand. Even if you were to do that, and it's a big ask, even if you were to do that, you're down to four points, you're expecting Rangers to lose two games, not just a, a, a loss and a draw, because the goal difference is so large. So you're expecting them to lose another two games. So you're looking at January. I think that's one of the the, the most difficult running uh, fixtures that they're going to have. If yeah, you were to break it down, you know, month to month, you, if you break it down. And you reckon, you've looked at that, you reckon they're going to get maximum points. That's how difficult the task is this season, to turn around.
5: I just don't see anybody in the league that has the ability to take the points off them. You look at the run that they're on. Uh, I mean, they, they beat us without even having a shot in target. I mean, that's, that's a bit of luck that, right? But they've only conceded five goals in 22 games this season. So their defence is doing really well. I know nobody really wants to hear it, but it would take something out of the ordinary for uh, Rangers to go on and drop these points. I would be absolutely delighted if that was the case. Um, but I just, I can't see it. I'd rather be surprised than disappointed.
3: The thing is, Colin, we will be here to discuss it if and when that does happen. Um, One final point from you before you go, give us a wee update on the Celtic State Mind Facebook Facebook page.
5: Yeah, so, um, Page is growing really well. I think it's close to 3,500 uh, people over there. So if you can find it on Facebook at uh, Celtic State of Mind. We post all the bulletins and all the shows that we do over there. It's a place for the fans to go over and uh, to kind of air their views. Just remember, but we don't take any kind of uh, personal or abuse of anybody. It's been a difficult season without having to go through all that. Let us know your feedback. Get involved. Get um, Just don't be an idiot. That's the bottom line, is what we'd say there.
3: Well, the the big thing is, it's happened so quickly on on the Facebook page, Colin. As a result, I think, of the daily uh, bulletins, etc., that I was unable, I've got to admit, to to keep such a close eye on the page as I would like to. So, Colin, you're now the moderator, so you'll be looking after the the page on a day-to-day basis. And obviously, everybody is entitled to their opinion, get involved in debates, disagree, but let's not fall out over it that's a big thing Uh, but you'll be keeping a wee eye on that and uh, thanks everybody for getting involved on Facebook and also on the bulletin one final point from Mark before we go take into account Colin they're still in the Europa League who did they play in the SPL after a Euro game that could be taken into account absolutely Um, by by no means would I rather not be in Europe but you've got to try and uh, look for as many margins as possible Colin that might come into it who knows so Regardless of what happens, we'll be there every step of the way. I've got to thank Colin once again for coming in at the last minute, but you've extended it by an hour. So thanks very much for joining me, Colin, on A Celtic Stay of Mind.